0: What is up, guys? We are back again with another episode of the podcast. And in today's episode, we are not joined by Gary and we are not joined by Nicola. However, we are still continuing on this female health series um, or this female topic series. And in today's episode, we're going to talk specifically about digestive issues. Now this is something that does seem to affect women more so than men and there's a number of reasons for that. We'll talk about that later on in the episode. But today I am joined by none other than our resident nutritionist Brian. And Brian's been on the podcast a few times before, so regular listeners and regular followers will be well aware of Brian, you know. And Brian also does a lot of you know, social media outreach for us. So if you're a follower, you may have been talking to Brian in the DMs and different things like that. So a lot of, you know, who Brian is, but some of you don't, and maybe some of you aren't aware of why Brian is someone that we should be talking to, uh, or listening to, if you're listening to this, um, about these issues. So Brian, tell us a little bit about yourself and why I'm bringing you on the podcast to talk about digestive issues.
1: Yeah, sure thing. So as you said, uh, I am our resident head of nutrition. uh, A bachelor's in human nutrition, and you know, long story short, the the whole nutrition science is is very much dependent on you know your digestion working properly. Like you know, so if you're going eating food, trying to consume nutrients that are going to keep you healthy and robust and fit, and uh, allow you to get all all of what you want out of your life, you know, you're going to need your digestion to be working well for that Um, and in a lot of cases people's digestion doesn't work as well as they might like it to Uh, so it obviously is a big area of interest for us Um, you know we uh, well i know i coach anyway a lot of people who have uh, digestive issues as does dean um and that's you know maybe one of the one of the main reasons if not the main reason they they sign up to work with us right they might say look you know i have ibs and you know we'll talk about like IBS and diagnoses and stuff later but that's one uh one major example and then it's just it's a big part of what we look at as coaches you know you're doing your check-ins you have to report on your digestion it's not something we just ignore you know a lot of people don't want to talk about shit but we want to talk about shit so it's it's just important like it's a good it's a good marker of you know, how are things going overall with, you know, your overall health and and nutrition and everything else. Like it's, it's, you know, it's not a perfect uh, proxy, but it's a pretty good proxy. I think we both agree on that. Um, So, you know, it's inevitably things come up with regards to digestion. I think there's a lot of like misunderstandings about digestion and, and how to get the most out of it. And, you know, what's an issue and what's not an issue, which we'll get into. But uh, you know, dealing with things like uh, constipation is pretty common, especially in, in women. Um, and then also the, the reverse side of that is loose, loose stools and, and diarrhea. And then, you know, potentially this IBS conversation as well. Um, but digestion, like it, it can span quite a lot of topics. You know, it can, it can be heartburn and reflux can be an issue of uh, work. People who feel like they've trapped air. Um, again, constipation, IBS uh, diarrhea, like these things tend to come up a lot. Uh, hence why you want to do this podcast and uh, discuss them in a bit more detail. Um, and that's, yeah, that's why I'm here.
0: Yeah. And the thing about it is, look, this topic is actually huge. You know, we could be here all week and barely even scratch the surface. Right. But I obviously don't want to do a podcast and, you know, be like, Oh, you know, we're going to have to do multiple, multiple, multiple episodes to talk about this one component in the female series We're just going to get to the kind of nuts and bolts of it, the stuff that actually you can take control of. Because I know a lot of people listening to this are either, you know, coaches themselves or they are someone that cares about their health, their performance, their physique, whatever it is. And you don't necessarily want to know all of the background science. You don't want to get know all the nitty gritty. It might be interesting for you. And I know it definitely is for a lot of people listening to this. They like when we go into detail. But realistically, what I want you to get from this episode is more the practical side of things, okay? So you get from this episode, you go, okay, what is the issue? What are we dealing with? What's the actual way that we think about this stuff? And then what do we actually do from that, right? So with that in mind, I want to just touch on the first thing um, being why is there a higher prevalence in women, right? Because there does seem to be a higher prevalence of digestive issues in women, right? And there's a number of reasons for this. The first reason we'll touch on is there's just hormonal fluctuations in women that you don't see in men, right? And that's both across the the lifespan and month to month across menstrual cycles, right? So there is this natural fluctuation that's occurring that you don't necessarily see in men right? Men do have fluctuations in their hormones, especially, you know, if they have a poor night's sleep, they might have reduced testosterone. If they are smokers, chronic uh, alcoholics, whatever, you're going to see more fluctuations in terms of here is the normal reference range. And this is where this individual is, right? But in women, you do see more week to week, year to year fluctuations, right? And as a result of that, you have more uh, variability in the digestive system, right? Because one of the inputs into this is the hormonal environment, right? So if your hormonal environment is changing, you know, week to week, month to month, year to year, you're going to see more variability here, right? So that is the one thing. Now, there are other things in that uh, that are also affected by hormones, notably estrogen, because estrogen is the, the main female hormone. That's the way we typically think of it in terms of endocrinology it's like okay female hormone estrogen that's the that's the the big daddy the big player right and in terms of you know male hormones were like testosterone now women do still have testosterone they actually have more testosterone than they have estrogen however estrogen itself is actually more um what would be the word for it it's more it's stronger right yeah, more potent is a good word, right? So it's more potent. So you actually need less of it to get a stronger effect, right? So the fact that estrogen is playing a major role here, and that we also see this fluctuation week to week and year to year, etc. Um, in women, you see differences in terms of gut motility, you see differences in terms of how the digestive system actually functions, you know. Um, We also see differences in terms of the immune system, right? And that's the difference between where you are in your cycle. If you're a woman listening to this, where you are in your cycle, you're going to have differences in terms of how your immune system actually functions. But also, there's differences between men and women. You know, women are often described as having an immune system that is, you know, constantly vigilant, it's constantly active, right? Whereas men are seen to have an immune system that's more like a, oh shit, there's, you know, there's invaders at the door. We better mobilize, right? And this is why you see guys have that kind of uh, stereotypical man flu, you know, where it's like they get destroyed. You know, they're absolutely wrecked from just a normal sickness. And the woman is like, what the fuck is wrong with you? That's because her, like her immune system is basically just a standing army. So this invader here, it's like, we've been keeping ourselves fit. We've been keeping ourselves, you know, doing stuff all the time. I don't need to have this. I don't need to sit out for three days to recover from this because we have a standing army. We have something that's ready to actually deal with it. Whereas the guys are like, oh fuck, I need to put all hands on deck. I have, I don't have a standing army. I haven't been, you know, paying attention to the military. I haven't been, you know, keeping my immune system in a good place because they don't have the beneficial effects of testosterone or of estrogen. There's a few other reasons. So there is a difference there. And that leads to a situation where a lot of the issues that women find they have with regard to digestion is also because of this difference in immune system, right? And the reason for that is you have to remember that the immune or the digestive system is basically a tube running through your body, right? Like you eat something and you often think of, oh, it's in my body now, right? Mm. That's not really true, right? It might actually physically be in your body, but it's not actually because Mm. a tube is running through your body, right? Like if I, I don't know, shot a bullet through you, Brian, right? And like there's a clear hole right through your body, right? And I put my finger in that hole, you wouldn't be like, oh, like that's in my body now, you know, you'd be like, no, but like you're poking into the hole in my body, right? And that's effectively what your digestive system is. It's a tube running through your body, right? It's like a hose running through your body. Now, there's other organs, if you will, attached to it in that, you know, there's the stomach, there's the, you know, there's organs attached to that, liver, pancreas, etc., and they secrete different things into it, but it's still basically a tube that runs through your body. But as we're all aware, we have to extract nutrients from the diet into our body, actually into our body now. So across into the bloodstream, across the cells um, that line, the digestive tract and then into our bloodstream or into our kind uh, of remember it through the lacteals into What's the thing called? Uh, or a lymphatic system. Couldn't remember the name of it there for a second, right? Um, so we do that, right? But in doing that, we expose ourselves to the outside world, right? And that digestive lining, in, in some parts at least, um, is only one cell thick, right? So it's very thin lining. And there is a mucus layer on that as well. So it's not just like you know one cell in its entirety, but it's very thin lining, right? And as a result of that, pathogens from the outside can get into the body right? And as a result of that, the food that you eat does make a, 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 a difference, right? If you're eating raw food, you're exposing yourself to more pathogens potentially, right? But also with that, if you have this immune system that's constantly vigilant, right? If it's not exposed to pathogens, and if we have any issue with the digestive lining, because maybe our different food choices, maybe there's an actual issue here in terms of I don't know, ulcerative colitis, something going on that makes it more permeable, right? So more things can get into the bloodstream, your immune system, it's a standing army, it's ready to go at all times. So we start seeing more and more issues, whereas guys, you know, they mobilize and go back and forth. You know, it's, it's not a standing army. That's the analogy I always use, right? So there's some differences in the actual like physiology here, but we won't Spend too much time on that, um, even though we already did. Uh, there are also differences in terms of the actual, um, what would you call it, the digestive capacity. In terms of, like, if you look at the average woman and the average man, like, say for example, my girlfriend, she's like whatever fifty odd kilos, and I'm like a hundred kilos. Like, the physical amount of digestive tract you can get into my body versus her body, it's clearly different. Now, that's obviously different in terms of the size, but then also there's still, you reach a point where it's like, we still have to put in a certain amount to be able to extract the nutrients that we need to survive. Right. So uh, a female, you want to call it abdominal cavity is a little bit more packed. Right. And they also have to contend with the fact, and this is what you see in pregnant women all the time. Like, first of all, they that's why their you know, abdominal cavity has to expand. There's only so much you can put in there, but we're at this kind of limit here where, We don't have uh, extra space, you know? So you can have things going on where you might run into digestive issues because, you know, maybe you always wear high-waisted jeans, you know, and you're actually putting a physical, like, uh, restraint on your digestive tract, like if you're wearing high-waisted jeans and that like gene line is always going across your stomach, like at the navel, for example, and you sit down a lot, right? Like you're actually putting a bit of a clamp there, right? You might think, oh, it's, it's you know irrelevant. It might be irrelevant in terms of the grand scheme of things. Digestion still happens. It's not a huge thing, but perhaps that is slowing down digestion. Perhaps that is leading to more issues down the line in the, the large intestine where more you know, thing is being fermented where it shouldn't, perhaps like it's in the uh, smaller intestine, it can lead to issues. And you often see this where there actually is a little bit of an uptick in, uh, digestive issues in people that do wear high-waisted jeans or high-waisted clothing that has a more uh, restrictive waistband, you know, like they always say, like in the nineties, people wore, uh, you know, low-waisted clothing and everyone got an eating disorder as of that as a result of that, because you know, like you can't have a a muffin top in any way, like you can't have anything if you're wearing these low rider jeans and then everyone switched to these kind of high-rise jeans, and they all got digestive issues, you know. So it's like you're fucked if you do, you're fucked if you don't, <laughs> you know. Um so it, it actually does make a difference in terms of the actual like physical clothes that you're wearing. Right. And um, but then obviously there's differences in terms of if we're talking between men and women, there's differences in the amount of fat mass. Right. Now in men it's actually it's a hard one to really you know figure out what is going on because in men we get a lot more visceral fat. So we actually get a lot more organ fat, if you will, like more fat packed around their organs. However, men have the ability just generally true, testosterone generally because, you know, men stay in activity for longer traditionally, whatever, um, that we'd have lower fat mass in general, right? Women tend to have more fat mass in general because first of all, it's great for reproduction. It's great for ensuring the viability and survivability of a growing fetus. um, but also, it's just, you know, it's it's beneficial for the woman to have that because they are the, the people that are required to survive, you know, required to keep the human race going. Um, so for guys, we can have more visceral fat, but we tend to have lower fat mass in general, in the general population. So... For women, you can have higher levels of body fat, but that can actually lead to a situation where we have a little bit more uh, fat on the stomach, fat on you know the abdominal cavity in general, and that can potentially lead to certain issues with digestion in general, right? And we have to also remember that uh, body fat is potentially inflammatory. Now, women tend to have a more beneficial inflammatory profile in terms of their fat, uh, where it's put, where it's put on their body, like visceral fat. Visceral fat, if I can even speak, visceral fat is the most inflammatory, and that's the one that guys get, right? Where women tend to get you know, fat on their their bum and legs versus around their stomach, right? So there is differences or there are differences there, but we still have to put this into the overall picture. There are differences in terms of the amount of inflammation, both because of the immune system, but then also because of body fat levels, right? Um, But then also, like, we have to disentangle all of this because it could also just be an artifact, the fact that guys are less likely to complain about this stuff right? Guys are less likely to actually care for their health, like actually look after their health. So women are more likely to be like, oh, I'm actually having this issue. I'm going to talk about it with someone, right? So in the research, we'll see it reported. Like, you know, if doctors are recording, oh, I have X amount of patients that have these issues. Like, we don't know if there's actually a difference in terms of, oh, only 30%, less. I'm picking numbers out of my ass here, but 30% of the population deal with uh, digestive issues. And, 25% of that overall population uh, is men and 75% is women. We don't know if there's actually a higher percentage of the population that are dealing with this stuff and it's actually a 50, 50 split and men are just not getting it checked out. Men are just not you know, talking about it or if it is actually, you know, uh, a split between men and women, right? We don't really know that. We tend to think um, that it is still a split. We have a lot of mechanistic reasoning to believe that women are going to encounter these issues more frequently, more often, um, than men. And then we also potentially have the issues of or issue of like men, first of all, not talking about this stuff but then also men having the capacity to deal with this stuff a little bit better like in terms of the clothes that guys wear you know it's like Mm -hmm. okay well i if i get a bit bloated no one's really really going to notice i'm in this like baggy hoodie baggy t-shirt you know and whatever jeans or something like no one notices whereas women if you're going out on a night out for example and you're experiencing some bloating some distension or whatever you're like okay well i can't wear yeah my clothes you know i wanted to wear like a slightly tighter fitting top or you know skirt or whatever it is it's like you can't wear them now so you actually experience it i mean day to day not just the physical manifestation of the, the the symptoms or whatever but we also see it in terms of the actual actions then the actual way you feel because now you feel like crap now you feel like oh man like i can't wear i can't live in the real world you know, whereas guys. It doesn't impact them as much now. That's not to diminish anyone's lived experience in terms of you could have really crippling digestive issues as a guy. I'm not saying that that's not possible. I'm just saying generally you're going to see people complain about it more if it's actually impacting their day to day life. And in general, it's actually impacting women's day to day life a lot more. Um, but do you have anything to say on any of that, Brian?
1: Yeah, just on like the last points, the the kind of societal and cultural impact is is pretty big because all those you know, expectations for women uh, and the differences like, you know, guys make fart jokes, right? Whereas, you know, if you're a woman, like you're not supposed to have any flattest whatsoever. Um, so it's just even that.
0: That's, that's where you're wrong. See, girls make fart jokes in private. They just don't do it in front of guys. <laughs> guys are imbeciles and they make fart jokes in front of girls. Right? But I guarantee you, if you talk to girls and they're like talking about their periods and stuff, they will tell you the most vile, <laughs> vile things um, possible and they'll be like doing it as if it's a joke you know they'll be saying oh this thing ha 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 just like guys are like oh man I took a shit earlier on you should have seen it blah 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 so I'm gonna fucking not give you that point you know I'm not okay
1: gonna- you're gonna veto that one um, all right, well I, I was gonna th- throw it out there anyway um, but yeah and then-, then there is that uh, obviously point you made about the like he's seeking help with this sort of stuff so it does seem to skew the frequency of of these kind of digestive issues um but no i don't i don't have much else to add like i think that's a good rundown of of why women might experience more of these issues um than men
0: Yeah. yeah And then there's also a subpopulation within this. Now you have to remember, like we're not talking about specific issues here. Like we're just talking about, you know, general distension, bloating, maybe some acid reflux. Yeah, there's a whole host of symptoms. Brian, I'll go through some of those in, in a second. But we also see this a lot in the fitness industry, right? We also see a high prevalence of digestive issues, and this could be bloating, it could be whatever. Um, we see this a lot in the health and fitness world, right? We saw it a lot a few years ago. People were trying to be hashtag relatable. They're like, "Oh, posting these pictures. Look, I'm just like you. Buy my program." You know, it's like it was. It was basically just a marketing ploy, right? But there does seem to be a higher prevalence of digestive issues in the fitness industry, right? Or at least you would think from social media. You would at least think. Well, we we both know a lot of people in the health and fitness world, so like you do see tend to see it. There's a lot. Uh, there's a higher prevalence of digestive issues. In general. Now there's a few reasons for that, right? The first one is excessive stimulant use, right? The health and fitness industry is basically just based on caffeine, <laughs> right? Um caffeine and
1: polyols, like so right there.
0: We'll, we'll come to the polyols yeah. and caffeine, right, but the caffeine stuff, right? And that's just talking about you know the over-the-counter stimulants. They also use all these other different stimulants, you know, effectively bodybuilding drugs, to get themselves leaner, right? And this is both a problem for men and for women. Um, but if you already have a higher predilection to digestive issues just by virtue of the fact of being a woman and then we also put on stuff like stimulants excessive stimulant use to keep you leaner or to get you leaner like we start running into more frequent digestive issues right so excessive stimulant use that is one of the reasons that the health and fitness industry sees so like high or so much um Digestive issues, right? And one in particular, a lot of health and fitness professionals use like thyroid medication, so thyroid hormone T3. Um, and this can potentially impact your digestive system. It has a variety of mechanisms by which it does that. But a lot of people that you follow, you know, if you follow this fitness influencer, fucking whatever, right, you follow one of them and you're like, why are they always posting about their digestive issues? Why are they always, you know, excessively lean? Like they're just always competition ready. Like they're probably on drugs, you know, like it's very hard to stay. Like very lean year round. Now, some people, they just are naturally like that, you know. Um, But it's very hard to stay very lean year round. So, a lot of these people turn to drugs, especially because their livelihood depends on it, right? And, you know, you can't really fault them if they're making money from it and, you know, they're willing to put their, their health at risk for it. Cool. But that is one of the reasons that you see so many of these guys and girls posting about their digestive issues right it does seem to be a bit more of an issue for women um, and that you know could be for a variety of reasons but you will see it in these otherwise healthy people you're like wow they fucking seem to be have a digestive issue every single second post they're always posting about it Mm -hmm. throws now of course some of them might have got into health and fitness because of their digestive issues they might be like i'm looking for a way to overcome my i don't know crohn's disease or something like that and they're like i want to live a healthy fit lifestyle and all of a sudden they find themselves in the health and fitness industry, you know, and that's entirely the case, you know, and that's a very viable re- route. Um, but a lot of these people are just, you know, stimulant junkies, medication junkies, you know. Um, another one, unless you've say on that or on Gary, Brian even. Oh, Look, so
1: You're so programmed to it's just like autopilot for you to say anything to add gary
0: that's what i have to say i have to literally drag stuff out of gary i'm like do you have anything to say on this gary and like anyone who listens to this podcast regularly knows he goes no no
1: no that's all good yeah nothing nothing to add
0: um juice etc
1: yeah i mean just to like clarify that a bit more it's like we're talking about people consuming excessive amounts of caffeine right They're they're necking their monsters. They're drinking tons of coffee. Um, They're probably like, you know, monsters and other energy drinks, like rain, whatever it is. Um, That's what's causing it. You know, that's essentially like, just so people understand it, like it's creating like a stress response, basically an induced stress response that you want. And then that gives you the energy and the focus and everything else that you actually want to get out of this. It has the appetite suppressing, suppressing effect. So, you know, if you're dieting super hard to stay really lean all the time or at least just to get lean for whatever purpose you know it's helping you manage your appetite it's helping increase your energy expenditure slightly um and it's helping you feel a bit more human like while well, going through the process of you know essentially under eating like you are under eating by default if you are.
0: yeah it
1: like it is what it is um like you were technically not eating enough and therefore your body takes what it needs from your body fat stores and that's how fat loss works um but but that's what we're looking at. So, you know that that amount of caffeine will you know stimulate the digestive system. It'll, it'll change motility. Um, you know, usually to you know speed things up or slow things down, depending on you know the, the context and how you as an individual react. But you know that's why it's it's very very common to see you know loose bowel movements, diarrhea with. Uh, increase like you know, many of us can relate to you know coffee induced poops you know well, that's a, that's how a lot of people go number two
0: um you'll see a lot you'll see people in the morning they'll be like oh I, I can't you know i can't poop before i have my morning coffee like it's their ritual they wake up they have their coffee and it's like okay i feel my gut i feel something happening here let's go to the toilet you know and it's like yeah if you can imagine yourself just hammering equivalent of nine cups of coffee per day because you know you take your three or four cups of coffee per day and then you also have this pre-workout and then you know maybe you know all oh, you have a supplement with some or you know you're your sponsored athlete with some supplement that also has caffeine in it and you're sipping on that throughout the day you know it's like you can see that your intake gets excessively high you know relatively quickly and if you just feel that from one coffee in the morning you know you can imagine what's happening you know with your nine cups of coffee per day.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's just so much stimulation. So like so much induced stress. I'll keep using that, that terminology. And, you know, as we'll talk about later on, like the role that stress has in all this, but that's just kind of a, a preview.
0: And then another reason why you see such a high prevalence in the fitness industry is because of nutrient deficient diets, right? You'll see people eat really restrictive diets. They'll eat that like chicken, broccoli and rice style diet. So they're not getting a lot of nutrients that they need for well-functioning digestion. For example, zinc is really required for, you know, effective stomach acid production. If you're eating a, a diet that's deficient in zinc, like it's, you can't just make it out of nowhere, you know? And um, so you'll see them eating very deficient diets. And as a result of this, they just have terrible digestion. You're not able to get the nutrients you need for functioning digestion. You know, it, it, it's pretty obvious that something's going to give if you're not giving the nutrients, you know? But then we also see on top of that, we see this kind of binge restrict eating patterns. You know, they're hugely prevalent in the health and fitness world. I know, Brian, you have like 20 clients that are dealing with these kind of binge eating uh, patterns, you know, these kind of uh, where they were previously dealing with, you know, binge restrict cycles. And, you know, ideally we've gotten them out of that and stuff. Um, But you see this a huge amount in the health and fitness world. And what these people will do, these influencers will do is they will effectively restrict You know, for the week or the two weeks or the three weeks leading up to a a photo shoot or when they want to be lean, and then they'll basically just binge for a week or a few days or whatever, right? And that causes a few issues. First of all, it causes huge amounts of you know, swings in water weight even, right? And that's not great for, well, heart health in general, but also not great for your digestive system. And um, But then also you're introducing in all of these foods that you aren't accustomed to eating, right? So that can have uh, an impact on your actual digestive capacity. And it's like, okay, we don't know how to deal with these foods, but also if you've been eating like, a, I don't know, a low fat diet, and then all of a sudden you just dump in a load of fat, like you don't have the ability to produce those enzymes. If like you need to slowly start ramping up the production of those enzymes, over time. You know, that's what you see when people switch diets all the time. It's not really great for their actual digestive capacity. We want some sort of regularity. And that's not to say we need to be eating the exact same macros every single day, you know, but we do want some sort of regularity. And then also in terms of the actual food choices, the selection that we go through, like oftentimes these people are going from this really restricted, like more kind of whole foods approach. They're like, you know, chicken, broccoli, and rice. They're like, that's what I'm eating. And then they go in and are eating pizza, fucking tubs of and all of these different foods and of course that's going to result in issues in with their digestive tract right even if we take out the fact that you've just introduced a load of dairy and maybe you haven't got the the amount of lactase to break down that you know uh, lactose from those dairy products right that's obviously going to cause issues you know like we have lactase persistence you know in european populations and some uh, usually east african populations but we have lactase uh, persistence But it still is something that can be expressed at a low level. So if you're not eating dairy for a long period of time, and then you go in and just drink a liter of milk effectively, like you're not going to have a good time. Like you're going to have disaster pants, right? And so that's something that you see a lot in the health and fitness world, right? So we go from these really restrictive diets to like these really refined diets and you go from these swings back and forth right and that can even be on a daily basis right you know we always advocate for this kind of like 90 10 80 20 approach where it's like you know the vast majority of your food is really good high quality food and then you have you know some fun stuff in there right but if you're going into this like 50 50 approach which a lot of these health and fitness influencers influencers do where they're like oh yeah i post the pictures of you know me eating a burger and you know me eating this because it sells like everyone's like oh i can get lean like this person and eat all these foods but you're seeing all these digestive issues as a result of that eating pattern right and and then on top of that which you mentioned earlier on you'll also see a food selection style that really leads to an excessive amount of polyols in the diet right Um, and sugar alcohols and there's not There's nothing inherently bad about sugar alcohols in and of themselves, except the fact that they do play around with uh, water balance, we'll call it, in the digestive system. And as a result of that, you can have, again, disaster pants. we'll call it, like you can have uh, issues with your digestion because you're eating so many polyols, right? And where you get polyols, they're getting them from all these like... uh, sugar-free drinks they're getting them from these
1: protein bars and
0: huge offender
1: the low sugar ice creams like they're the the main ones that you'd see and i say like all these polyols are naturally occurring right you get them in fruits and vegetables but they're added in large quantities to these foods because they have sweet properties they're most of them are kind of granular so they have a, a, a like they nicely substitute in for sugar um and, you know, like I've, I've worked in, uh, you know, Body First Nutrition. I've seen what people come in and buy, uh, you know, in terms of like all these the protein bars. And, the, you know, you're in a box of protein bars and you're in a case of Monster, which has some, you know, polyols in it as well. And I, I find it's one of the people are just really unaware of. It's like, oh, my I like you might you might get someone saying like, oh, I think i have like I'm tolerant to whey protein or something because when I have three protein bars a day. I start to experience digestive symptoms or you know let alone maybe the fibers that, uh, that are found and then like the inulin and in some of the protein bars um it's just it's a dough, it's often this stuff is very dose dependent uh and as you said if you, if you don't have the upregulation of the enzymes required to digest these sorts of foods um you may run into some issues acutely and you know this is this is one that kind of bugs me when i see it come up it's like you know, people might say, "Oh, I think I'm intolerant to, you know, wheat or, or gluten or something." And it's like, well, why do you say that? And it's like, well, every two weeks when I'm being super restrictive in my diet, and then I eventually, you know, eat a whole loaf of bread or like two pizzas or whatever, um, or you know, a ridiculous amount of pasta or something, I have like bloating and digestive issues. And it's like, well, of course, of course you do in that context. Um, whereas if you're if you're taking a more balanced approach to your nutrition and You know you're including these foods. Uh, Obviously, there's there's a lot that plays into this, which we'll we'll continue going down the rabbit hole. But you're going to have a much better time for that. So you have to very much consider the quantities of these foods that you're eating. Um, And yeah, like you know, there's like so many of these fitness foods just lend themselves to, I suppose, maldigestion in sufficient quantities. So like you know, if you're living on protein bars and energy drinks, like a lot of the fitness industry do. Like, you go to, like, events or something, you go to, like, Body Power or something, and, like, you know, talk to anybody who goes to Body Power and, like, you know, is, is sampling everything that there is on offer. Like, they're, you know, good night digestion, like, at the end of that weekend. It's just so much caffeine, so many sugar alcohols. And it's just the, the quantities of sugar alcohols in those foods is way higher than, than what you get in, um, you know, the kind of naturally occurring sources, like, in terms of fruit and vegetables. But like, you know, let's say just as a quick example, you know, prunes, like everyone kind of knows, oh, prunes good for constipation. If you're having issues with that. Well, the only reason prunes are good for that is because they're a concentrated source of the sorbitol, which has laxative properties. Right. So it's, it's not, it's usually not the same one that's found in, in protein bars. You get sorbitol a lot in, in the ice creams and things, but you know, that's essentially why people are eating prunes, like basically consuming natural source of laxatives. So by by that logic, if you eat a lot of foods that contain a lot of these polyols, you're going to have a laxative effect. And the, the toler- individual tolerance I find is very uh, different uh, for those. Like some people you know, will eat three, four protein bars a day and they're fine, right? And then someone else will eat half a protein bar and have digestive issues as a result. But yeah, people just don't seem to be very aware that that these are the foods that are causing problems. And it causes them to look elsewhere, you know, again, at like, oh, you know, I can't eat slice of bread because they get all these digestive issues it's like it's it's usually the other stuff in my experience
0: Mm. and we'll talk about that in a second when we talk about like what what can we actually do because there's kind of a checklist with this stuff and be like okay someone starts with you with this issue going on how do we figure it out Mm. you know but this all naturally raises the question like is bloating and distension and these digestive issues in general is that normal What, what what do you think here
1: yeah, I mean, that's that's a point that we all have to consider. It's like, you know, is some amount of this acceptable? And that's how I'll often phrase it to people. It's like, if someone comes to me with a certain digestive issue, you know, we get to work on it and, and see where they're actually at. But are they pathologizing something that's just normal? Because, you know, if you, like, we all, we all will have to, you know as, as a quick example of how like some of this stuff occurs like you know eat your food um pass through the stomach pass it into small intestine the stuff that's going to be absorbed into the bloodstream for for nutrition purposes that does so and, and then it passes into the large intestine where it's fermented by the bacteria that live there right and then we get some benefits from that as their as their hosts their gracious hosts um so th- this will happen for all of us to, to some extent. And there's like commonalities in all of this stuff, like, like universally, none of us can really tolerate, say a, like a huge dose of fructose, right? Cause it was just malabsorbed. You don't have, um, and then, and then in things like, uh, I did a reel on this the other day, like the, the goss in, um, pulses, you know, so beans and, and lentils and stuff like, um, or beans more so I should say, you know, we don't have the enzyme to break down certain components of these foods. So naturally they have to go into the large intestine and and then the the good bacteria there start to break them down. Now the response for, for an individual to this can vary, but everyone needs to understand that like there is sort of a common baseline for this stuff that yes, we all will experience some gas. We all will experience some amount of bloating. You know, if you're eating and drinking all day like it only makes sense that like you know maybe your your stomach will expand a little bit more than um than it is when you wake up after fasting for you know eight hours or whatever it is so there's there's certain questions to be asked about this it's like all right you know is this is this significantly impairing your quality of life um you know what what exactly is the history and the kind of frequency and the occurrence and the severity of all this stuff that will help us decide whether it's like okay this is something verging on pathological that maybe we want to intervene with but i think i think it's pretty common you probably agree and this is something we've seen over the last few years is that people pathologize normal bodily functions because they're exposed to some misinformation somewhere that says oh you know if you experience you know gas and bloating then you have xyz problem and you know we talk about this a lot in general it's like if you if you go looking for problems you will find them right and then inevitably someone's selling you some some gut repair protocol uh you know with just a, a shitload of supplements all it's like it's never anything else it's never it's always just supplements you know maybe some uh weird restricted diet um in a lot of cases but you just have to be aware like you are you are not supposed to experience like zero bloating zero distension zero gas um You know, your bowel movements will be affected from time to time. There will be a little bit of flux in these things, depending on what you're doing. It's not, it's, you know, it's rarely pathological and worth like talking about in more detail. Like someone reports to me in a check-in, it's like, you know, I had some change in my um, bowel movements this week. It's like, all right, maybe I'll have a look around and see if there's anything that might explain it. But even if there's not like, you know, an, an odd occurrence of that is not a cause for concern. So it's just like, all right, we move on and inevitably it doesn't happen next week or the week after and it doesn't come up again until, you know, a long time or maybe we do find there's some pattern to it and that's a lot of what the, the work done there is. But yeah, you, you can't just write it all off as being a problem because that'll create a lot of stress then, right? For you for psychologically, which won't be good. And then, you know, we'll talk about how stress influences digestion. So you could get into a negative feedback loop here where, um, you know, you're stressing about normal digestive function which then leads you to actually have worsened digestion because of all the stress that you're experiencing psychological stress which will impair your your physiology so anything you want to add to that
0: no 100 percent. like it's basically this you can't expect to be morning skinny all day you know <laughs> You can't expect that like, oh, I feel like I have a flat stomach this morning because there's, you know, fuck all food in your stomach because you've absorbed it all. It's actually in your body now. Like your digestive tract is kind of empty, especially after you, you know, you go for a poop or something. It's like, oh, cool. Like I literally am empty here, you know? And now it's rare that we're actually like properly empty, but you know, you're emptier, right? You can't expect that to be across the board all day, right? If you're, putting stuff in your body like into this tube that needs to be absorbed takes what six to eight hours or something to be absorbed like it's that means it's in you it's physically in you now it's you know broken up and it's all chewed up and it's you know in that time and everything but it's still in you like it's still physically in you right so it's obviously going to lead to some sort of distension some sort of you know bloating here um, and it's not pathological now i always put it on the spectrum of are we just experiencing this normal day-to-day life or are you in a position where you are experiencing pain, right? Are you actually experiencing pain from this? If we're experiencing pain, okay, we really need to dive deeper into this. If you're experiencing, you know, nausea, different issues that you'd be like, okay, this is just not a normal, like bit of bloating, a bit of, you know, even sometimes bloating can be painful, right? In the normal range, right? Um. But if we're like if this is you know everything I every time I eat something I'm you know I feel like I'm 9 months pregnant here and you know it's painful okay we need to deal, deal with this you know if it's something that happened once you know not a big deal. Like different things happen. Now you could have eaten something that was a little bit more raw than normal, like, you know, broccoli or something, and it's more raw and you're just not able to break it down as much. And there's more you know, fermentation going on. Loads of different things could happen like that. Right. If we're also in a position where you basically can't trust a fart, you're like, Oh, am I going to follow through on this? Am I going to like ruin myself today? If you're in that position, then yeah. Okay. We're going to, we're going to need to dial into this. We're going to need to really dig into this and go, what's going on here. What has changed, or has this been something that you're experiencing for a long time? How can we change things? Right. So there is a spectrum here, right? So there is a normal presentation, and then there is actual issues, right? Now, the issue is that in the fitness industry, all of those actual issues are kind of like, oh, yeah, like these are this normal presentation. That's pathologized that's put into this like oh if you have any kind of bloating that's an actual issue right when in reality it's not like you might experience a, a burp or two after a meal and be like oh you know that means i'm not digesting my meal i don't have enough stomach acid like you see all these random claims online mm-hmm. and it can be very hard to decipher what's actually going on right um but look some degree of bloating, some degree of digestive disruption occasionally Completely normal, not something that I would be worrying about. I always put it in the to watch pile. I'm like, I'm gonna keep an eye on that. But look, this happened once, not a big deal, right? It's something to watch. If it starts happening weekly or every few days, okay, we need to really dig into this. But if it's something that happens very periodically and we can't really decipher on, like, oh, this is the thing that causes it, you know, like if you're like, oh, I drink once a month and then every day after that I feel like shit and also have like these digestive issues, I'm like, yeah, it's the alcohol. Like we have a clear this is what it is right but in the vast majority of cases we can't really pinpoint exactly what it is and if it's happening very infrequently like you know once uh, even a month i'd be like yeah you know, there's there's only so much we can do we can keep digging and we can really try to sort things out but it may still be present that might just be the way your digestive tract your digestive system works you know and mm. um, But what are some of the well actually there's one more thing I want to say on that? Just like first of all, if we're talking about this the general population, the vast majority of people have pretty fucking poor diets, right? Like that's across the board, most people are just not eating good health promoting diets. So, of course, in the general population, we're gonna see you know a lot of digestive issues in general, right? Now, some people might be like, Oh, it's just not an issue because they've always eaten like that. Like if you grow up in an area and you've always eaten a certain way and like you're not going to know what normal digestion should feel like, right? And um, But if you're a healthy population and you're like, oh, I'm, I know what good digestion feels like and I'm not experiencing that, well, then obviously we go, okay, well, what's what's causing this, right? But the vast majority of people do not eat enough fiber. They do not eat enough like fresh fruits and veg. They do not eat enough, or sorry, drink enough water. Um, and we need that for proper functioning and digestion. Like, you can't expect good digestion as a result of that. And as we said earlier on, like, you know, we are eating a nutrient uh, deficient diet, we can't expect the digestive system to work effectively. Right. So we actually need to start in a position of eating well, which we'll talk about in a second in terms of what we can actually do to help. But maybe Ryan, you want to go through any of the common conditions or issues that you, you see um, in populations that you deal with. I know we've touched yeah. on you know, quite a few of them um, and, yeah what are some of the things that you you, you might see and go, okay, this is something that we actually need to dial in on. Now, again, this is a generalized podcast. We're not going to go into, this is a specific issue. These are all the treatment protocols for this issue. Like, again, we'd be here for months doing that, right? Uh, And also, look, we're not doctors. We just help guide people with their nutrition. And so caveat that. But uh, what are some of the conditions or issues that you see?
1: So a lot of it will be... Say, say IBS, right, and the, the associated symptoms of IBS. So that'll be, you know, th- there's several types of IBS, let's say, or ir- irritable bowel syndrome. i assumed everyone knows, knows what it is. Maybe they don't. Irritable bowel syndrome, right, it's, it's usually classed as either IBS type D, right, which denotes diarrhea, okay? So you have uh, a tendency towards a lot of loose bowel movements. Um, you can have IBS type C, which is constipation. So you have a tendency towards... Uh, let's call it slow digestion, and um, you know, infrequent bowel movements, and all these kind of, you know, there's this criteria to meet. It's like, well, do I, do I meet the criteria for this? You know, um, you know, if, if you only uh, have a bowel movement every second day, like that's not necessarily an issue. Uh, but it's like it's three days, you don't have one, and that's like your consistent schedule. Then okay, maybe you want to look at that. So there's different like. Uh, classifications here to be considered, but like so, even if it's not, um, you know, IBS, you know, still constipation, and diarrhea, or two that we would look at. You know, if this is a recurring issue for somebody, um, because it can like through a lot of the stuff that we've talked about already, you can usually figure out what the issue there is. Um, I say uh, heartburn, acid reflux is a pretty common one as well. So pe- people experiencing that need some help with that. That'd be a big one and then you know potentially this kind of excessive bloating and gas flatulence those are a lot of of what we deal with and like obviously we're not we're not talking about actual disease states here we're not talking about you know crohn's disease we're not talking about ulcerative caritis we're not talking about celiac i mean i can you know obviously you can help someone with celiac in, in terms of managing the nutrition but you know it, that's a pretty simple solution. It's like you just can't eat gluten and helping someone manage that. Um, but you know that's that's generally not what we're talking about. And you know maybe maybe it'll happen that someone has digestive issues and it is un, un, undiagnosed celiac or something like that. They may not realize it, but you know through getting some coaching and then uh, digging into a bit more, you know you can usually establish you can usually rule things out, right? You can usually rule these uh, specific diseases out, which is a good idea. Um, to do if you have digestive issues. And then that leaves you with, okay, what should I generally do to improve these symptoms that I'm
0: having? Mm. And there's also even like tests. If you're ever wondering about this stuff and you're like, I don't know how much better or worse than I'm getting, like you can do tests. Now, a lot of the tests that are promoted online or whatever, they're actually just shit, right? <laughs> they're like, oh, here, like I'll do this finger prick and I'll do this allergy test and I'll do all this sort of stuff. It's like, yeah, like in concept, they might work. You know, for some people, it might help them refine their diet, but a lot of that stuff is just kind of bunk right but there are still tests that you can do like you can get like a high sensitivity c reactive protein measurement right and that'll just tell you general inflammation in the body right but you can use that as a proxy of okay how much resolution have i gotten with the dietary changes that i've made right so if you start and you're like right look i'm my digestive system i, I just don't know what the fuck is going on right and then we go okay well we're going to do a high sensitivity c reactive protein test right you to go to a doctor or you know there's some companies like in england there's like medichecks that can do it i don't Think. Uh, let's get checked. Does it? Maybe they do. um But there are some companies that do it, right? So you can you can look into that stuff. It's relatively cheap, right? Um, so you can measure that, and you can go. Okay. Well, if it's at X number now, like I've had a, a few uh, clients that have had very high C-reactive proteins, and we're like, right, well, we really need to deal with this stuff, and then we'll make dietary changes. We'll do some of the stuff that we're talking about in a second here, and then we'll go. Okay. Let's get that recheck. Let's measure that again. Let's see where we're at, and then if you see an improvement, we're like, okay. We're on the right track with this stuff, right? Let's keep going with this. Let's go get this tested again in three to six months when we've really continued to refine this stuff. And if we've got like a normal or a very low range of C-reactive protein, cool. We know we're in a good place now, Mm -hmm. right? So that's what we can use as a, a little bit of a proxy. Now, it doesn't really help all that much in terms of helping you go, this is the issue, right? But it does help you in terms of knowing how much closer to resolution you are, you know? Um, now, not all issues will come along with a lot of inflammation. It may just be transient uh, symptoms that you experience, yeah. not a lot of inflammation as a result of that. Um, so it doesn't help in those cases. But in some of the cases that you're seeing that are chronic, you know, we have potential measurements that we can use as a bit of a proxy, right? But it doesn't work for everyone, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but do, is there any other kind of symptoms or conditions that you see people uh, appear with? Because I think that's pretty comprehensive in terms of, you know, what you're likely to experience, especially if you are a coach yourself or you're coaching yourself. Like a lot of people that actually have like real issues and ter- I shouldn't say real issues. That's a bit, you know, bad on people that are actually into the issues. But I mean, like issues that are like medical issues where it's like, this is, you have celiac here, you have Crohn's disease, you have whatever, ulcerative colitis. Like if you're like, there, here is a very clear presentation of a disease state, right? If you're like in that case, usually... You're gonna find that out earlier in life. Now, uh, some of the things, especially for women, this can change across their lifespan, right? Like I know of some women that have, you know, got pretty severe digestive issues, like Crohn's, later in life, uh, maybe due to pregnancy, maybe during pregnancy, maybe you know, uh, closer to menopause. Like you can see this change. You can see these changes now. It could be again to do with the differences in terms of hormones across the lifespan, in terms of you know a variety but excuse me a variety of different things um but you can see changes across the lifespan and that's a little bit more common in women than it is men but it is something to be aware of right um but if there's no other conditions or issues that you see let's get on to like what can we actually do to help what's the starting point someone comes to you with an issue where where do you start
1: yeah so we obviously will look at i don't there's not really much to add in terms of issues are we looking like there are others but we're not necessarily you know we're not treating people for ulcers and shit like that um you know it's not our wheelhouse um so if someone comes to me and they have digestive issues obviously we need to take some background and get some history and you know in 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 most cases they will have tried to investigate this themselves so they may have some feedback for me on that they may say you know I, I got a colonoscopy or I got an endoscope or something. And it's like, you know, things like, okay, celiac is ruled out. So we know it's not that. So it's like, okay, that gives you some information in terms of what to go with. But well, you do want to rule a lot of these things out. Again, I just, I'm speaking quite generally here. So it depends on what symptoms you're experiencing. Um, but it is usually a good idea to rule out, um, you know, specific disease states and then that's when you end up with, okay, this is something we can work with here. Uh, we know that you don't have, you know, Crohn's, you don't have uh, some sort of inflammatory bowel disease, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I just thought, well, I think of it, the seroactive protein, is that the same one that's on a standard uh, GP blood panel or is it a,
0: yeah, usually you'll get it on a, a standard GP blood panel. Like you do kind of want a, a high sensitivity one. There are other ones, um, but usually you can get C-reactive protein on that. You,
1: you do get C-reactive protein, but I just wasn't sure if the, the high sensitivity is a different.
0: Yeah, like realistically, just if you get a C-reactive protein measurement, it's good to go. Yeah. Yeah, grand. I was just
1: curious about that. Um, so where I'll usually start, again, obviously this is kind of symptom dependent. Like if someone says, look, I've been diagnosed with IBS, then... I'm going to take a different approach necessarily to um, if someone is generally having digestive issues. So first thing you're going to look at after you've ruled out things, if, if necessary, thing you're going to look at is how they're actually eating their meals. All right. There's always my, my go-to uh, number one. And um, I say, okay, you know, how basically how fast are you eating? How well are you chewing your food? Um, how sort of low level stressed are you when you're eating your meals? Because all of that will contribute to the vast majority of digestive symptoms that people experience, which is great. So, some people will listen to this and say, Yeah, 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 but that's clearly not me. So, you know, what's next? What's the complicated? People want to complicate things. People want to, you know, feel like they're a special case, so to speak, that, you know, it couldn't be something that simple, but I guarantee you it often is. So,
0: And mechanistically, it makes so, so much sense. Right. And most people are aware of this. Like when you're stressed out, you know, people hear like, oh, stressed, I've got this fight or flight, you know, they've, they've heard of that term before. Well, that's the, the sympathetic nervous system, which is terribly named because sympathetic seems like it's a good thing. You're like, oh, I'm sympathetic, you know, I'm sympathetic to a cause or whatever, but that's sympathetic, that SNS uh, branch of the autonomic nervous system, that is the fight or flight. Now that generally Disregards or inhibits this digestive process, right? Because if you're trying to get away from a predator, you're trying to respond to this stressor, you don't be caring about digestion. Right. And this is why people who eat, you know, close to training or you know, eat close after training, um, they might find, oh, like it's kind of sitting in my stomach. I don't really, I'm not feeling great with that, you know, there it's because your body's in the sympathetic nervous system state where it's like fight or flight, let's let's get this going. Right. And um, it's not prioritizing this other sim sy- or parasympathetic state, which is the rest and digest. Right. So when we're actually trying to encourage and improve digestion. We want to be in this parasympathetic state, right? We want to actually encourage this rest and relaxation, right? And you've all experienced this. I know you've definitely had like a Christmas dinner or something or a big meal and then gone, oh, I'm fucking tired after that. Sat down, had a lie down, had the best nap of your life. (laughs) You know, you wake up, you're you're warm, you don't even know what year it is. Like, I'm sure you've all done that, right? And that's really that high level of parasympathetic nervous system activation, right? And we want to encourage that when we want to improve digestion, right? So I know everyone listening to this because I'm in the same boat as you, Brian. I will say this to clients. I will say this to people that ask me about this stuff, you know, like, right, the first thing is we need to look into this stress management stuff, right? And that's both in terms of you know stress management in general, but then also just around the meals. What like what is stress like around your actual meal? Right. And that's both in terms of Like, are you actually sitting down at a table away from your work or whatever and chewing your food, you know, breathing while you do it? Not just, I need to fucking get as much food into my mouth as possible. Because look, I was in, I worked in a gym for years. That's our personal trainers and fitness coaches and stuff. They work, they'll be like, right, I have a client here, two minutes in between clients here. Boom, boom, boom. I have a lunchbox out and I'm just fucking wolfing down as much food I can get down my gullet as possible, you know? And really high stress environment. And I know other professionals and they're also in the same case where they're like an executive or even just, you know, working in an office or something. They're like, right, I don't want to waste time with this. And I need to get this food in. Boom, boom, boom. I'm going to stuff it down my gullet and fucking wash it down with a monster again. Yeah. In that Sympathetic nervous system. Right. So mechanistically, look, the stress component, it needs to be looked after. But in terms of what that actually looks like, what are we talking here? Because obviously, look, we're saying like be mindful what you're eating. Mm. What the fuck does that actually look like?
1: Yeah, you, you can definitely throw like mothers into this category as well. Because you know, if you are as many mothers are, if you're essentially running the household and you know, you're waking up in the morning, you're going to get your kids out for to school, you're trying to get them fed. Um, you know, you're pro- you're you know, necking something in the car on the way to the on the way doing the school run, and then you've fucking loads of errands and shit to do. Um, you know, it's so easy that you're just you know, first of all, in that situation, you're on the go, right? And you're, and you're trying to cram food in and you're not taking any time to eat it. Cause it's almost like an inconvenience that I have to like stop and just kind of eat this meal properly. And I understand, like I can empathize with it. Like we all lead busy lives, but if you're having issues with your digestion, um, it, it's, it's going to pay huge dividends. If you actually, if you actually do this stuff consistently, like I said, people like to fob it off, like, yeah, yeah that's grand, but actually do it. All right. And what it looks like is you know, for ideally sitting down, right? sitting down to uh, at a table or something, taking a few breaths, you know. So, I we use this five, 10, 15 rule kind of to, to help people um, remember it. Basically, like the numbers are pretty arbitrary, but the five is five deep breaths before you start to have a meal. So, these are like the deep meditative breaths you may have heard about, you know. So, a few seconds in, twice as long out, take a few of those breaths, right? This is a really good way to calm down that sympathetic nervous system, which. I often remember, you know, well, not that I have to remember anymore, but I used to remember which is which, like, okay, the sympathetic nervous system sympathizes with the fact that something is trying to kill you. So it's going to help you out here by giving you all these stress
0: hormones. Just terribly named. They should have just called it something else entirely.
1: Yeah. I mean, parasympathetic is just useless as well, basically. But um, anyway, uh, so that's going to put you in in a way more of a rest and digest state, which you obviously want, as we've talked about, when you're going to have a meal. Okay. So that's the first thing. That's the five. You can do five breaths. You can do 30 breaths, right? It's the numbers are arbitrary. Just people will remember me talking about the five, 10, 15 rule. Then the 10 refers to seconds between mouthfuls of food. All right. So this gives you an opportunity to put some food in your mouth, put your knife and fork down, or if it's like a wrap or something, put that down, chew it. Right. So you're going to get like at least 10 seconds chewing or whatever it is here in between bites versus what people often do is just, you know, Eating lumps of food and then you know, they don't they don't actually do any chewing and they just kind of swallow it whole.
0: Like, um I always use the example of it, someone watching TV while they're eating and they're just the bowl is literally below their mouth to catch anything that doesn't fucking fit down their gullet and they're just like <laughs> literally shoveling it into their mouth. There's no chewing, there's no like or in between brands. playing Um one
1: one that uh we used to talk about a lot like years ago is you know, in in between rounds of call of duty online you're absolutely necking stuff into you to because like that game starting in like 30 seconds mm,
0: uh ready to go
1: yeah yeah so are you going to be caught eating and get fucking terrible kill to death ratio no you're not um so the the 10 seconds just taking your time in doing so you'll be forced to chew better which is going to help your digestion right now, you know, people often use the analogy, like, oh, your stomach doesn't have teeth, right? So, you know, clearly you need to chew. And, like, yeah, chewing is obviously important, but your stomach is also a big fucking vat of acid. So it's pretty capable of dealing with stuff. But, yes, chewing is very helpful. You start to get some enzymatic breakdown of foods um, through saliva in the mouth before anything even gets down to your stomach. So this is going to help. Um and then the 15 is just uh, minutes, you know, is how long you should spend at least uh, eating a main meal, um, which it, it'll help a lot with like preventing overeating as well, because it'll stop you getting to that point where you basically blow past the point of consuming enough food. And because you've eaten the food so quickly, you'd only start to feel the sensations of fullness and then over fullness because you've overshot it, um, you know, 15, 20 minutes after you've eaten. So, you know, obviously that if you're, if you're like overeating at every meal, you're naturally going to feel that in your digestive system. Okay. Um, and we've spoken about that already. So the five, 10, 15, um, some people add a 20 onto that as well, which is like a 20 minute walk, which definitely encourages improved digestion. Now, realistically, you may not be able to get out for a 10, 20 minute walk or whatever, uh, after every meal, if you can, you know, it's helpful. Um, but that's where I'm starting with people like just slowing down your eating trying not to be in this low-level, stressed-out state when you're having your food, uh, giving a bit of time to it, taking your time with the food, chewing properly, that's going to sort out, like, the vast majority of people's digestive issues um, for anyone
0: listening to this. So... It is, look, and you and I both know this because we coach so many people that say the same thing. Like, as soon as you tell someone to do that, right? They're going to be like, this is the reason why I can't do it. This X, Y, Z. This is the reason why I can't do that, right? But I guarantee you, right? You are not as busy as you think, first of all, right? And then second of all, you're not extraordinarily busy for all of your meals, right? It's very rare that you see someone that's working a legitimate 12 to 15 hours per day, right? So you can wake up, you can take a little bit of time, you can do this stuff for your breakfast, you can get that dialed in right? Your lunch, okay, maybe you can't do that, you know, it's very stressed, very high stress environment, you're just, okay, look, that meal, we're not going to even look at, right? Then dinner, we have a little bit more time again, we're going to spend the time, we're going to really mindfully eat, right? So that's two of your three meals there, you've spent the time, you've mindfully eaten, um, and we'll see improvements from that, right? We might still see some sort of negative digestive symptoms because, you know, you're wolfing down your lunch, but you're going to be in a far better position than doing that for all three meals, right? So I know people listening to this are going to go X, Y, and Z, they are the reasons I can't do that. And the simple solution is do it for the meals that you can actually do it for. And then we can start addressing the meals that, you know, you're really busy for.
1: Yeah. And then, as you said, as well, we need to look at this kind of overall allostatic load or stress load, like you're kind of day to day, like I think about know what's your baseline of stress and because you know when we talk about stress management I often talk about like you know okay these are things acutely you can do when you find yourself in a very high stress situation but then also do you have like general practices across the week that you're always doing that basically help keep your baseline level of stress low so that even if it peaks or spikes for whatever reason you know it's not as impactful as if your like baseline is really high. And then it's like, you know, which straw is going to be the one to break the camel's back? That's that's kind of the way I look at it.
0: Well, people often use the stress bucket analogy. You know, you filled up the stress bucket with all this, you know, day to day stress. And now you're putting this extra stress in terms of, you know, the food, the rushing the food and whatever. The bucket is going to overspill, you know? So we want to dump as much of that water out of the bucket in terms of reducing your day to day background stress, whatever way we can and that's going to give you more capacity to deal with the stressors mm. in general.
1: Yeah. Because like, you know, if you are just existing in a very high stress lifestyle, and that's another thing we probably add to, you know, why do women experience this more than men women? I think report feeling more stressed, more anxious, etc., than, than men do. So that's going to impact uh, digestion, you know, more so for women, potentially
0: and um, hormonal and, whatever you want to call it, psychosocial reasons for this, you know, it's not just all like, oh, it's because of hormones. It's like, okay, well, there actually are different societal pressures on women in certain environments. And as a result of that, you're going to be more stressed in a certain environment, you know, and that could be because, you know, it's traditionally a male environment that's been set up for men. It could also just be that, you know, physiologically, this is not the environment that's set up for you, you know? And um, so like we have to look at that and go, okay, we might be in a situation that's just not conducive to your long-term health. And you know? we might have to do that. Like we have a lot of clients that's like, you can't change their job or their job is like a, a vocation, a calling, if you will. You know, like I have a lot of nurses, for example, and they're like, yeah, okay, they do shift work, but they really enjoy nursing. You know, they're like, this is something that I really enjoy. Now, obviously, like, I'm not going to say everyone loves nursing, you know, people get into a job, get into a career and they're like, yeah, I really enjoy it. And then five years in, they're like, I fucking hate this, you know, like that happens. Right. But if you're in a job that, you know, you're doing shift work, you're always on your feet, you know, you're getting 20,000 steps a day, easy. And, you know, it's go, go, go. And you have to wolf down your food. It's like, okay, look, the stress load is just going to be higher. So we really need to do whatever we can do to reduce stress or manage stress better
1: yeah and like i don't know like that's a question that's on our you know our questionnaires for new clients And like most people don't really have outlets that they list because i ask you know on my questionnaire it's like you know what are your what practices do you have to help you manage stress a lot of people will put down training and exercise naturally um but yeah that is a stressor in itself as well so it's like know there's give and take with that but it's like do you have you know like a lot of this i think falls under the heading with hobbies and things um but it it can be as simple like the the, by far the most effective and probably easiest to implement is some sort of breathing exercises mindfulness meditation whatever their yoga you know whatever package it comes in a lot of those things have the common feature that they encourage this deep slow Breathing, which is the you know, quickest and dirtiest way to uh, get someone kind of calmed down, and then if you have that as a regular practice that you do every day or whatever it is, uh, or you know a few times a week, then your overall your baseline will be lower, and the where the the water is in that bucket just will be lower, um, and therefore your overall stress load will be lower, and then you know it won't have as much of an impact on your digestion, which is which is what we're looking to achieve. But a lot of people just don't have those things in place. Um, you know, they don't have outlets for kind of their mental well-being. So that's where things like you know, journaling can come in as well. That can be quite helpful if you need to do something like by yourself rather than you know talking to someone about it. But um, yeah, that's that's a big one. Like, and that's uh, very much of a, a global approach to trying to help someone's digestive symptoms. So naturally, when we see on a questionnaire if someone writes their stress as being, you know, a five out of five, then, you know, and that's like the most stressed you can be. It's like, all right, well, maybe it's not that surprising that you're, you're having digestive issues. And then as well, this is another one like that comes back to when people talk about, you know, I I can't tolerate X, Y, Z food. You know, you see this a lot when maybe somebody uh, says I can't tolerate bread and then they go on holidays, you know, to Spain or let's say France. Right. And they're like eating, lots of baguettes and pastries and things there. It's like, oh, this French bread is grand. I have no issues with that. It must be the Irish bread or the Irish wheat or something. It's not that. It's just the fact that you're, you're on holidays. You're relaxed. You're enjoying yourself. Your overall stress load is much lower. So the higher that is, the poorer your tolerance will be from a digestive point of view, let's say. And that means that your tolerance can very much fluctuate. And, you know, and, that's something you see, say, in IBS, it's like you're, you know, if you establish that, okay, these are foods that um, give me symptoms in an IBS context, like these specific maps. it's like, that's not fixed for light. That's like a, it's, it fluctuates, you know, based on many different factors where, where stress is, is one of the main ones. So, you know, the, that's, what, that's what I always say to people. It's like, you know, if you, if you come in and you have a week where your sleep has been terrible, and you've been really stressed out and maybe that's probably why your sleep has been terrible whatever is is impacting you um and you haven't been able to like you know prepare your foods properly like all that is going to culminate in you having poor digestion in that context i think people can conceptualize that pretty well understand that pretty well but they don't kind of step back and look at their own situation their own life from that point of
0: view Mm. yeah and i always think of this in terms of like how we're managing stress i'm like we've got this bucket of like friends family society you know what are you doing with your friends your family your society like do you feel integrated into your wider society because if you do and you have a good like support network and stress management becomes so much easier like you can actually talk to people you know i see this a lot obviously i moved to london i know a lot of like irish people over here and i know a lot of like you know exercise and fitness enthusiasts over here but i also know just you know average people over here like i do jujitsu i talk to these people and i'm like Why? What's going on in your life? Like we're just you know chatting, you know, and you see a lot of people being somewhat isolated. And if they didn't have, say, for example, jujitsu, like they you know maybe wouldn't talk to another individual. They're on Zoom calls all day, and it's like you know they're sending emails, and it's like it's not really an interactive environment for them. And they might live in a one bedroom apartment, or as they call them flats over here, Um, and it's like they're they're not really they don't feel embedded in their society. You know, they don't have friends, family to do stuff with. So stress management in that bucket all of a sudden it's lower, you know? Um, and we also have stuff like, again, hobbies, you know, or what are you actually doing? What are your hobbies? You know, a lot of people, especially I know the people listening to this will be like, oh, my hobby is going to the gym, you know? But going to the gym while it is, you know, in the hobby bucket, you know, it's kind of just a stressor in and of itself, you know? Like if you're really trying to progress your physique, you're really gunning for it in the gym. You're really pushing, you know, heavier weights, more volume, whatever it is. But like that is a stressor that you have to recover from. It's not really a restorative, um stress management tool like it can be you know for sure if you want to get rid of some aggression for example some people go to the gym and they're like right i feel good after that but it is still a stressor it is still something that we need to recover from right and so we need to like paul check said and i don't generally agree with paul check on a lot of things but he said like you can work out and then you can work in like so how often are you working in versus how often are you working out right so we need to do some sort of working in we need to actually do some restorative work and this could be you know breathing meditation even yoga uh different things like that we can do stuff like that but we need some sort of hobbies it could be you know painting it could be whatever something that is rejuvenative something that is like actually restorative and it's actually bringing down your nervous system tone like it's actually you can physiologically you can measure it because you'll see your hrv go up or you'll see your resting heart rate like in the moment when you're actually doing it it'll go down like your heart rate rather than being at your stressed 70 to 90 beats per minute. It'll be like, oh, actually, I'm really enjoying painting this picture. My heart rate. Oh, well, actually, wow, it's 45. You know, so we want to do stuff like that to really activate that uh, parasympathetic nervous system. Right. So we have that bucket of you know friends, family, society. We have that bucket of, um, you know, hobbies and then we also have like nature getting out into nature is really beneficial for a lot of people and this can be like a 10 minute walk in the park like literally stuff like that incredibly rejuvenative, right? And then the final bucket that we have is you know actual, we'll call them rejuvenation practices. Usually these call like require some time and effort. Like you need to go to say, for example, a sauna, which may be again a stressor in and of itself, but a lot of people find it relaxing or going to some sort of like spa or you know different things like that. Right. Even just you know foam rolling, it can actually be a a viable tool in terms of activating that parasympathetic nervous system a little bit more. Right. It's not really doing a huge amount more than that, but it can be nice it can't actually be rejuvenative right so we need to manage stress other than stress Brian right so let's say someone listened to that to like right before I listen to the rest of this I'm going to really assess my stress and then I'm going to actually deal with that let's assume they've done that they've, they've, yeah. they've done the stress stuff what's next
1: so doing the stress stuff they're addressing how they're eating their meals the next one naturally enough and like you know you will often do this stuff in tandem it's not like we just wait you know before having some input on the next one which is someone's food selection all right. So if you're looking at someone's food selection, as, as you've said a couple of times in this podcast, like the baseline diet is not very good. And that's something that you want to address if you want to have, you know, much improved digestion. So um, we need to make sure like it's it's nutritious enough. But then we also like need to take some of the very basic boxes like is your fluid intake sufficient? Because if it's not, then that can lend itself to digestive issues, especially constipation. Um we need to look at fiber as a nutrient right I think everybody kind of intuitively knows to some extent that like fiber helps keep you regular or anything like that and then you know you, you can distinguish between soluble and insoluble fiber and then kind of soluble fibers is, is pretty cool in the sense that how it how it affects the body it can it can rectify like bowel issues like the, like stool issues so like you know, if you're prone to, to diarrhea, then it can help with that. Or if you're prone to constipation, it can also help with that. Um, so it does both, um, which, is, which is pretty cool. So, you know, trying to increase your, uh, usually increase your fiber intake is going to be something that people need to do in this context. Like the, like the average fiber intake uh, in Ireland is, is quite poor. Um, I think it's around 15 grams or so. And, you know, you want to have essentially double that, like in most cases.
0: minimum recommendation for women i think is 25 grams Mm. and what we generally recommend is 10 to 15 grams of fiber per thousand calories just as like a you know that that then usually scales it by body weight and also activity levels you know so someone that's eating 3,000 calories you know you don't go oh i only need to get 25 grams it's like that's the bare minimum of a an average person what we really want is 10 to 15 grams per thousand calories so again if you're eating fucking 3000 calories you're like okay i need 30 to 45 grams of fiber right now usually what we always recommend in this case as well is like build up to that don't just go mm. oh, on a neck a load of fiber today you know that could be a very very bad time for for you you might experience the worst symptoms <laughs> that you've experienced you know with this, this digestive stuff so work up to it and again generally we're looking at fruit and veg intake as our main driver for this yeah. stuff legumes and pulses and that kind of stuff as well like they're obviously really easy ways to get first of all a little bit more protein in the diet but then also uh, a good chunk more fiber and then we can look into specific like fiber supplements like psyllium husk is often recommended um but generally we're looking at fruit and veg you know and you use that what is it your three s's of uh increasing your fruit and veg
1: five s's sorry five s's I don't know if i can rattle them off but yeah there are there are five s's um well it's like soups smoothies um sexify is one just essentially making the, the food tasty uh what the hell else is there in that Ooh, was
0: slurp or something like that i think that might have been soups i don't know I don't
1: know slurp, slurp was the smoothies one yeah sorry um or maybe it was soups jesus don't even know my own Two. like mandates uh anyway it's you know yeah we have a there's a video there somewhere of me talking about how to increase your vegetable intake if you need to do that but um yeah just <laughs> it's like a funny anecdote on, on like eating too much fiber and the detriments it can have i had a client before he tried to carb load using fiber one bars and he was like man is it normal that i you know had to go to the toilet like seven times today and i was like nah man I'm like what what happened and he's like oh you know i, ate lo- I tried the carb load i was like oh no it's not the way to do it um so yes yeah, just be cautious of increasing your fiber intake very rapidly so you know assess where your fiber intake currently is at or you know you don't even have to track this stuff necessarily but you know if you get a proxy on how much fruit and veg and and pulses that you're eating you know you can you can throw whole grains in there as well though the, the fruit and veg fibers are probably somewhat more preferable i mean whole grains are good and they uh, but I suppose just in a narrower context for things like IBS, let's say they can be more aggravating. Let's say like something like wheat bran can be more aggravating versus something like you know psyllium or other sources of fiber. That's getting a little bit technical. Um, but essentially, yeah, we're going to look at someone's food diary. We're going to say you know how's their fruit and veg intake? Is it high enough? You know, in the in rare cases, it might be a case of eating too much fiber and too much like plant material that's causing some problems and that's definitely the minority like if you're looking at somebody in front of you has digestive issues it's like more than likely their fiber intake is going to be too low rather than too high but it does happen okay um especially if they are on like a very high calorie intake and, and they're trying to do it like through too much fibrous foods because that's what they've been told is healthy which is you know not untrue but, you know, like I know Dean has had a lot of clients lately that have signed up looking for help because they're just really struggling to eat, you know, for muscle gain and, and to perform well and to fuel that. And basically just some modifications to food selection has, has rectified all that and they're having a great time with it now. Um, but they're obviously trying to do it like, you know, eating too much of these high fiber foods to try and get their uh you know, because that's like, oh, that's what I should eat as my carbohydrate sources. And then just experiencing digestive discomfort, like when they go train in the evening or whatever. Um, then we'll look at, and then we'll look at all the other things that we mentioned earlier. It's like, you know, how many, you know, protein bars is this person eating, are they eating a lot of these uh, polyol filled ice creams, are they uh, drinking or consuming a lot of caffeine, like these are all things we're going to look at as well. Um, so, you know, usually it'll, it'll be down to a lot of that. And then just improving the overall healthfulness of someone's diet leaning more towards whole foods um you know you could potentially consider you know some some common triggers for digestive issues can be you know uh, very high fat intakes uh as a bolus in a meal potentially or just as a a general high fat intake that usually will lend itself to uh digestion for people and you know like in a lot of cases you're eating very high fat you're also not eating very much fiber anyway um so those two can go hand in hand and have like a double detriment uh to someone's digestion uh, you can look at things like alcohol is super important as you, you mentioned earlier like people people seem surprised when you know their digestion isn't so good after a heavy weekend um of drinking it's like well what do you expect you know from something that's such an irritant and kind of poison in the body you know it's it's going to affect your digestive system yeah um, it-
0: i'm like look imagine you just put like i don't know pain stripper on your hand you know which is like you know methylated spirits or whatever it's like you probably get some sort of irritation on your hand you know if you just left it there right the same thing that's happening in your stomach but then also along with that like imagine you're just drinking, i don't know guinness right drinking a, a pint of guinness is like drinking a fucking loaf of bread you know it's like what what, what do you expect if you just drank a loaf of bread and then it also had an irritant in it what did you expect was going to happen?
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, I suppose you can look at like the timing of, of meals as well as so was eating too much too late in the day. It can definitely have an impact. And then look, if you attach that to the, the alcohol point, it's like, all right, so I've gone out for a big feed of drinks and then I'm on my way home. I'm going to get a kebab or something. It's like, you know, you're eating a lot of food, potentially high fat food just before you you know pass out. Uh, in bed and you know wonder why you know you had heartburn all night or whatever or, or kind of feel the crap the next day so is it these behaviors that are I suppose like are accepted as just being normal like they can obviously impact your digestion and look a lot of people listening to this won't be in that situation like they care about their health and fitness they won't be getting up to that but it is an important point to mention um and then uh so like spicy foods is another one that can that can be an impact and again this this is where it kind of diverges off into like well what specific issue are you looking at like is it heartburn you're trying to resolve or is it ibs you're trying to resolve and it's not the same interventions like all across the board but everything we discussed so far like is pretty good general overview of like okay these are the kind of things you can look at um, when trying to improve your digestion
0: 100 percent so we'll get that's the basics right we're like right we're reducing stress in general we're also being mindful with our eating we're also generally trying to eat a whole foods diet we're trying to minimize the the junk we're staying away from smoking alcohol late night eating excessively spicy food if we find that's an irritant and um, high fat maybe greasy junk kind of food we're staying away from all of that stuff what happens if we still haven't got resolution What's the next step?
1: Yeah. So this is where it'll diverge off into more specific interventions, depending on, and again, what I said is what, it, what exactly you're looking at. So if it's something like IBS, you may go down this path of a low FODMAP diet, right? Which is kind of a form of an elimination diet. Um, I'm doing a, I'm doing a long series on IBS and the low FODMAP diet on our Instagram at the moment that I have been. So uh you know if if you want to like get up to speed on that like this be, that'll be useful for you. Um but basically it just removes these fermentable carbohydrates that can cause symptoms in IBS patients uh removes them from a short for a short period of time uh you will obviously assess the symptoms during that period because you know if you execute on this low FODMAP diet quite well and you've experienced no improvement in symptoms then it's obviously not the 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 like cause of your problem and look it doesn't it doesn't lead to resolution and everybody uh like and something like ibs we don't read really, we don't actually know what causes there's a lot of like theories and kind of well elucidated mechanisms but there's no definitive like this is why you get ibs like the, and there's so many factors like all the things we've already talked about you know stress levels um as well as food selection are going to play
0: into this and just on that like This is also why, again, you see on social media all the time people going like, I switched to a carnivore diet, or I switched to a keto diet, or I switched to a vegan diet, or I switched to XYZ diet. And they're like, I had great results. It solves all my issues. It's like you basically just did some form of an elimination diet and it got rid of some of the offending foods for you, right? It wasn't that a vegan diet is magical. It's just that you were eating foods that didn't agree with your body. And now you eliminated them. You could have used any other one of these elimination diets and got the same resolution, you know? And like elimination diets in general are not magic. We generally do like that kind of low FODMAP approach. It seems to be relatively robust. It seems to be you know, relatively like as good as, you know, the research in this area is not great as you were saying, you know, but it seems to be relatively well supported as a you know an intervention to start with. The only issue with it is, that it is an elimination diet it is hard to actually do you know yeah but that's small elimination diets
1: it's a complicated one but um i mean i do like it in a way because it's it's not as restrictive as some elimination diets might be like obviously compared to like a carnivore diet or something it's like way way different um well like you know the there's an issue with like doing kind of random elimination diets like you want to be quite methodical about undergoing something like this because otherwise you won't really get your answer you'll you'll say like okay i took out like these 20 foods and now i have no problems it's like all right well you know well, what was the problem um and you kind of want to have a feel for that otherwise you can be caught off guard or you may experience symptoms and be like i don't understand why this is happening now again um you know part of a low five diet is you know you do the the reduction phase and then there's a reintrodu- reintroduction phase where you're going to test each of these like uh, food groups um and see what your response is to them and it's and look this is not a it's not a simple process like it's definitely it's it's doable and i do it with a lot of people um but i think it is something that it pays to have guidance and support on um because it can be a bit challenging Maybe a bit overwhelmed trying to try and do on your own, so it, it does help to have someone guiding you on that. Um, but you have this reintroduction phase. You basically assess then, you know, okay, which foods am I still reacting to, and uh, which ones am I not? And basically, then you'll, you know, this will culminate in a diet, dietary pattern that you know reduces the amount of foods that are causing problems, but allows you to eat basically everything else. And that's that's kind of where you want to end up with that. Um, so that's that's what the, the kind of low fod map approach looks like as you said it's it's like a form of elimination diet you can do other types of elimination diets you know if, if there wasn't much success in that then you can look at other potentially offending foods you know you can potentially look at um plus with like lactose and dairy falls into the fodmap category so that would already be taken care of but um you know gluten potentially like i'm not really convinced that like non-celiac gluten sensitivity is like as prevalent an issue that as some people would make it out to be, um, but look, the reality is that yeah, some people maybe are going to be sensitive to gluten, so maybe we we trial that as like part of the elimination. Or you know, people could have sensitivities to a lot of things, uh, you know, eggs and uh, soy products, and it's it, you don't want to start just pulling foods away at random. Like you want to, like I said, you want to be pretty methodical about it because you want to have a decent idea of like okay. This is my plan for this elimination diet. This is how I'm going to implement it. This is how I'm going to modify it if I'm not having um, the results that I want. Because what you seem to see in a lot of cases of this is people just keep paring away their diet. They become quite afraid of eating and then they end up in this like really narrow range of foods that they're consuming. And they can't deviate from that because that terrifies them because they don't want to experience these symptoms. That's a really bad place to be in with like your mental well-being, um, and just your like, what would you call it? Like your sense of resilience as a human being. Like it's a really really bad place to get into. So um, you have to be quite careful when when trying to implement the these kind of uh, diets. Um, well, you know, you basically uh, you just have to you go through the list, and like like I said, this is where it helps to have someone guide you on this because. Um, yeah, you don't end up basically in a, in a place where, you're like, all right, I only eat these five foods now, and if I deviate from that, I'm, I'm scared of what might happen. And then, like, you run into like noceboing in yourself, and it's 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 a bit of a quagmire. So, um, you know, if it gets to that stage, then it definitely it definitely pays to try and get some assistance with that.
0: I always recommend when anyone does an elimination diet, you need to think of this as a reintroduction diet. You know. Mm you're simply just eliminating things right now as a trial and error type of thing, right? You're just going, I don't know. know? So the easiest thing to do is let's only eat the quote unquote safe foods, right? And then the ones that you're like, I 100% know are safe for me. I'm only going to eat those, right? And then what you're supposed to do is start going, okay, I'm going to add in this food. I'm going to add back in this food. Do I notice anything from this? No. Okay, cool. Fantastic. That's good to go for me. So you actually need to think of it as a reintroduction diet, not an elimination diet, even though an elimination diet actually conveys the point of what the diet is, it actually is the reintroduction phase that is the most important. And there are a variety of ways to do an elimination diet. You can do stuff like really just go, you know, thermonuclear with it and go, I'm going to just nuke everything, kind of get rid of everything, except for these, you know, three safe foods, and then start reintroducing, or you can do it another way, which is, you know, I'm going to remove this food, see if symptoms improve, don't improve, Anything changes? No, nothing changes. Cool. I can keep going with that food. Do the same, this food category or this food type, blah, blah, blah. So you can do it two ways. Generally, I kind of theoretically like the thermonuclear approach because it's actually so much easier, but in the real world, so much harder, right? Yeah. It's obviously so much easier to pinpoint exactly what's going on if we don't eat any of those offending foods that we potentially think. And we're just like, I'm only going to, the only variable that I'm changing with my diet is I added that food back in. Right. So very easy to pinpoint things, you know, because there could be two or three things that are actually causing an issue. And you yeah. take one out, you're still having issues. You take one out, you're still having issues, you put it back in, you go back and forth, and it's like you don't know exactly what's going on. Right. Yeah. But in the real world, it's kind of very hard to yeah. do the thermonuclear approach, you know. Um, but then other than that, look, we will probably do an episode far into the future on elimination diets and stuff like that in general, but it is a very good tool to have in the toolbox you know and what i would recommend if anyone's listening to this now obviously look i'm a business owner so i would say this but <laughs> get help. i would just reach out to brian and either do a consultation or get coaching and go i actually need help with this stuff can you show me through it because you only really need to do it once get this yeah. stuff squared away and then at least you know the process for the future and then ideally we've got some sort of resolution to the issues as well, you know? Um, but then other than that, like we can go into supplements and we'll do that in a second. The only thing that I want to say is regular exercise does seem to improve digestion, you know, a variety of digestive issues, both more inflammatory ones, and then also more of the, you know, the actual issues that people find themselves having, you know, distension, bloating and that kind of stuff. So regular exercise is pretty fucking key. And um, it doesn't need to be, hyper-structured or anything, it just needs to be regular, (laughs) you know, do some lifting weights, do some cardio, et cetera, you know? Um, And then in terms of supplements, look, this is obviously going to be dependent on what the actual issue is, there are a few supplements that are often recommended. I'm sure, again, I know, Brian, you have a lot of experience in terms of seeing what people are doing and what works and what doesn't work, and also looking at the research and going, okay, this mechanistically makes sense, right? Like, there are a variety of things. Digestive enzymes, you'll often see them recommended. Like, that can help with, obviously, the breakdown of food, right? their digestive enzymes. Now, a lot of these also contain, like, a pepsin and, well, they also often contain betaine hydrochloride, which it actually does increase stomach acid secretion. And for some people, that could actually be the issue. And like if you're under a doctor's care and they have you on a a PPI, for example, like they're working on the hypothesis that you are producing too much stomach acid, right? So if you start taking digestive enzymes, and it basically is encouraging stomach acid production, we've got an issue here, right? So you need to talk to your doctor about that if you are under a doctor's care. But for some people, digestive enzymes can be quite beneficial, right? Now, they're not a a be all and end all, but they can be quite beneficial. They can be quite beneficial in certain cases, like certain specific digestive enzymes, like you could get lactase. If you've got some sort of lactose intolerant, maybe you're just not able to digest the amount of lactose that you want to, to be, you know? do. Like, right, I'm going to take some lactase. Cool. Call it a day. You're good. You don't really see any symptoms as a result, right? So digestive enzymes can be helpful in certain cases. We also have glutamine. Glutamine is used by those enterocytes, those that digestive lining. It's used as a fuel source. It's also used for a variety of mechanisms. You can get into amino acid metabolism, et cetera. We won't need to do that there, but it is actually really good at effectively healing the gut, right? Now, this is one of those things where you see so much fucking snake oil sales here. You know, it's like, oh, yes, this is a fantastic formulation, blah, blah, blah. Like, it's not a, a game changer for the vast majority of people, right? If you eat a Protein-rich diet it's not going to be a game changer. However, it can be somewhat beneficial, right? Um, it does potentially reduce that intestinal permeability. So, if nutrients are getting across that you know one-cell thick lining and they're getting into your bloodstream, etc., and you're having some sort of immune reaction, you now potentially glutamine can be viable there. It can help, right? Now we can get into doses and stuff. You know, generally. I like people to start a little bit higher so we can just reduce it, get resolution of symptoms quicker and then just reduce it, drop it out if possible. Um, But even as low as like, you know, three to five grams per day can be beneficial, you know? you can go through these as well in a second, give any of your notes or whatever, um, but I'm just going to rattle through them. Then we also have zinc. Zinc is uh, really beneficial for stomach acid production. So if you have low stomach acid production and we're really feeling we're not digesting our foods enough, like zinc can be really beneficial. We can go for certain types of it, like zinc carnosine. That seems to be one of the more beneficial forms of this, but just zinc in general, like we need the nutrients to be able to digest food in general right probiotics they potentially can help they can potentially harm as well but it just depends on what exactly we have going on if we think we have an overgrowth of you know negative we'll call them uh, bacteria in our uh, large intestine you know maybe we want to shift the balance a little bit taking some sort of probiotic a high dose probiotic potentially be beneficial. If you notice you had issues after, say, taking a course of antibiotics, maybe probiotics could be beneficial in that case. right? But again, it is something that you need to do a little bit more research on because probiotics is a huge class of you know, things, you know, they're living organisms. What organisms are we talking about specifically? Are we talking about, you know, saccharomyces boulardii? What what exactly are we talking about, right? Like we actually need to be very specific in terms of what we're actually supplementing and what we're trying to resolve. A fiber supplement can be quite beneficial. Like we generally like psyllium husk. It seems to be well supported, seems to be good for digestive issues, but it also seems to be great for heart health in terms of lowering your uh, cholesterol. So, Fantastic. We're getting two birds with one here, so some sort of fiber supplement could be beneficial. Um, But generally, we also tend to focus on a whole foods approach, where possible. We also have peppermint oil that can be beneficial for some people. It also it seems to uh, there's a few different things that it does in terms of it interacts with calcium channel channels, um, excuse me, in the digestive tract. So you get some uh, relaxation of the digestive tract, which can potentially make it a little bit easier for you know, the transition through your digestive tract, it can make it a little bit easier. Now, this is one of those things where, you know, there's some research to support it. There's some research to be like, yeah, look, it's not great. Um, do you have something to say on it there?
1: Uh, yeah, basically just, it just uh, acts as like an antispasmodic. So kind of relaxes the digestive system. Um, uh, but then a side effect of, of peppermint can be heartburn right? Which is just another digestive symptom on its own. However, if you get um, enterically coated peppermint uh, capsules, you you won't have a problem with that. Um, What is that one called? The culprin or something like that? Uh, I think it's just peppermint oil, basically. Uh, But yeah, sorry, the you want to keep going or do you want me just to-
0: on that peppermint as well like you can also just you know see people will recommend this like this you know old wives tale or whatever they'll be like drink some peppermint tea like that can be beneficial for some people like a peppermint oil capsule enterically coated is probably a better delivery mechanism and um, mm-hmm. but other than that most of the supplements you know we have some particular supplements that we might be like right for this particular case this is beneficial but in general i'm not really focusing on the supplements too much you know i'm doing the, all the other stuff first and foremost
1: yeah and then i just wanted to comment on the like the probiotic aspect of things like it's all like taking a pro like saying oh you should take a probiotic for this issue is almost like saying oh you should eat food for this issue it's like which fucking food like are you talking about so like the probiotic situation don't we don't understand very well like there are certain probiotics that seem to be more beneficial in certain contexts or for certain symptoms um i really see we can't go through them all on this podcast but yeah you just kind of have to be cautious of like this general prescription of probiotics right because it's just so much variability in like the quality and like you know, are these strains even beneficial? Are these strains even alive in the, in the capsules that you're buying? Um, like there's a lot of room for error and, 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 getting like, like in all the supplement industry, getting poor quality products. Um, so ideally in these situations, you want to say, okay, do I have digestive issues? Yes or no? It's like, well, if not, then probably don't want to take a probiotic. I don't think there's any, I don't think it makes sense to do it just for like this, you know, general health point of view, or like, Ins- like health insurance point of view. I don't think that makes sense from what we
0: taking a multivitamin. Cool. I could see that as you know health insurance. You're not really yeah. sure, okay. Maybe this could potentially help here, you know, a low-dose multivitamin. But taking a probiotic when you don't have an issue, like it's not really doing. No, well.
1: no it, it doesn't really make sense. Um and like I said, there's just there's just different ones for specific issues. Some are better researched than others, you know, like uh and then, then there's differences between You know, are you taking a single strain organism probiotic or are you taking one that's like more of like a shotgun? it just contains lots of bacterial cells and different strains? Like they both seem to work when it comes to digestive issues, but I think overall probiotic supplementation should be targeted. It's like, so obviously, yeah, this this podcast is on the subject of digestive health. So yes, it's a lot more relevant in this conversation than just general health, but that's just a point to make. Um, Yeah, you mentioned psyllium husk being quite a nice uh, fiber source i think i agree with everything you said there and then just in you know a lot of a lot of what i do in this digestive space is around ibs right so you don't want to take fiber supplements that are uh rapidly fermented and potentially uh insoluble because that could exacerbate the issues that someone is having but psyllium falls into the category of all right it's in, it's soluble and it has like a low amount of fermentation or slow fermenting, whatever way you want to put it. Therefore, it tends to be well tolerated. Like not, not always. And again, it depends on the dose. Like you go take 20 grams after having never taken it before, probably going to have a bad time. Um, but it is one of the better options versus something like wheat bran, which could be, you know, actually aggravating. And there's there's some other ones. That I can't pronounce it. You know, the one meta Metamucil or something what is it? You say it?
0: Oh, okay, that's
1: right. Um, and then there's a, there's a kind of a plant extract formulation called um, Iberogast, which I'm not sure of, like the actual accessibility of that. Which is a big problem I've noticed in this digestive space. Is like, all right, this like particular strain of, of probiotic is shown to be helpful. It's like, okay, cool. Where can I get it? Oh, you can't well cheers for that like so there is now there is a product called the i'm not sure if it's like i'm not sure if it's availability in ireland specifically maybe something that's more available in uh, the states or something like that but it's the kind of thing that like if someone is having some digestive discomfort acutely and they want to calm it down it seems to work quite well and work quite rapidly so like i said i'm already sure of wh- where you might be able to get that i'll have to look into that in more detail but it does seem to uh, be pretty effective but yeah, I think uh, I don't think there's anything else to add in terms of of supplementation. Um, I suppose like there, there's a lot in this as people will probably take away. And it's not like, especially in this context, the, the like the psychological overlaps with the physiological and vice versa. So you have to treat the whole person as we do, obviously, both when we're working with clients. But, you know, it's, you know, it, you're going to, waste your time to an extent if you're trying to figure out like is there one food causing you problems when you know fucking life is burning down around you basically with with your stress and whatever else is going on with you so just be able to take like the whole picture because you know like naturally depending on like what kind of training you have or what your background is like for me my bias could be like oh you have an issue oh it's definitely nutritional all right so let's look at that and let's dig into that um, obviously, I know somewhat better than to just do that in these kind of cases, but not everyone does. So if you're looking at things through a certain lens that's somewhat biased, you know, you might miss a big part of the puzzle, so to speak. But uh, I don't think of anything else to add. Like, that's a lot of podcasting we're after doing. So
0: yeah.
1: unless you unless you have anything else you want to add or close out with.
0: No, that was, that was pretty comprehensive. I think we covered everything. Now, again, look, you deal with this stuff day in, day out. You've seen all the different fucking permutations of this um this is not this podcast is not going to answer every single question if you need help reach out look brian is there he's in our dms all the time um and look if you actually need coaching we have coaching spaces available both for nutrition coaching if you're just looking for nutrition coaching, but then also that kind of full coaching, you know, nutrition training, maybe it's injury management, pain management that you need. We have a coach for that. If it's like, you know, sports nutrition, you we know, a coach for that. If you're looking to get better at powerlifting or bodybuilding, we have a coach for that. Like we have a pretty diverse team that should be able to help you with your goals. So just get in touch. And that's all you really need to do. The links are below. You could reach out to any of us on uh, Instagram. That's usually where we're most active. Um, other than that, I don't really have anything else to say. Look, the links are all below. Follow us, like, share, subscribe. All of that stuff really does help the podcast. Like you'd be surprised. I know every single influencer in the world does say that, but if you actually you know, gain something from this, a little tidbit of knowledge, it helps you in some way. Like tell your friends about it, tell your family about it, just share it on your social media. It really does help. Or at the very least, you know, hit the like button wherever you are. Give a five-star review if you're in an app that allows that. Hit subscribe, whatever it is that can you can do to help the business grow. Like it really does help and it really does encourage us to make more podcasts like this. Anything other than that, I don't have anything else to say. Do you want to uh, say goodbye to your adoring fans? Yes.
1: Goodbye, everybody. Thank you for listening. And uh, I'll be back on the podcast soon.